you want to go ahead and start opening to Matthew 20, feel free. Actually, I would encourage it. Have you ever been completely amazed at how long it took for someone to understand something? Um, as I work at ETSU, I work in admissions, I explain the same process over and over and over to high schoolers, to their families. I get phone calls and they say, hey, can you explain this to me one more time? And it's like, yeah, I can. I've walked it through time and time and time again. Um, a couple months ago, actually two months ago maybe, I, I talked about how amazing it was to have two children living with us and be, having to remind them time and time again to, oh, flush the toilet after you use the bathroom, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, turn off the water after you wash your hands. And it was this process of reminding them over and over and over. And uh, those of you that are parents probably realize this more than those of us that aren't, but children have to be often reminded of the same things over and over and over. They just, it takes a long time telling the kids, don't get up before 7 a.m. in the morning. We don't want to have to take care of you yet. Um, but 6.30, 6.15, it's always they walk out of the room. Because they have to be reminded over and over and over. And as we've been going through Matthew, we've, for those of you that, are, that haven't been here, we've been in Matthew for 16 months now-ish, um, walking straight through Matthew. And we've seen over and over and over, Jesus telling the disciples, you guys still don't get it yet. You still don't get it. There's still something you're missing. You still don't understand what it truly looks like to follow me. And we're going to see that again today. Um, once again, that the Jesus is kind of re is correcting some, some of their interpretation, some of their belief on what it took to be great, what it took to really follow him. And I want us to kind of feel like we don't quite have this all down yet either. And hopefully we can um, see what it is Jesus is saying. This is what it's going to look like to follow me. So we're going to be in, uh, we're going to, I'm going to start by reading Matthew 7, or 20, 17 through 28. Uh, we're going to go a little bit further than that before we end today, but we're going to start right there. I'm going to read 17 through 28. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, he asked, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these, these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink of my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that you have so graciously given that to us, that, that we were able to hear the very words that you've spoken and that that wasn't just spoken 2,000 years ago, but it's the way that you still communicate to us. Father, this time is all for you. The songs are for you. This, this, this word that you've given us is, is for you. And I just pray that, just like Tana prayed earlier, that your Holy Spirit would just move among us, that they just not be words to us, but that they would just penetrate our hearts, that we would want nothing more than to worship you, that we would want nothing more than to just give you the glory that you are just so worthy of. Father, speak to us now and just, um, just change us, uh, change us where we need changed. And I just pray that you would just make each one of us more like Jesus um, in so many ways. Father, we need you to do that. We need you to um, just bring all this glory to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this passage that we're going to go through today can very easily be seen to be some different teachings, kind of separated in different chunks. And we're going to see three separate sections, but I hope that we're going to be able to see that they really do weave together well and kind of make this, this big point that I think can be made here. And I don't, last week I tried, I put the, some points on the screen to make it helpful, and I didn't do that this week. I apologize if that was helpful. But here's the one big idea that I want us to see today that I, that I think is here. That if we are truly following Jesus, if we are truly followers of Jesus, then we are not only going to serve like he served, but that we're really going to love like he loved. Because Jesus, the very Son of God, as we're going to read, humbled himself to the infinite degree, became a servant, became the ransom for many. And then he tells us, you are to be servants. This is the kind of attitude, this is the type of heart that you are to follow me with. In verses 17 through 19, we see that this is the third time that Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm on my way to the cross. I'm on my way to die. This is what's going to happen. And it's becoming even closer. I mean, he says in this passage this week, he says, see, we are going to Jerusalem. We're going to see next week that they arrive in Jerusalem. But he's saying, like, it's coming. It's coming very quickly. This is when I'm going to be killed. This is when I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And then we see the mother of the sons of Zebedee come up to Jesus. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to walk through these verses. Um, and kind of, we're going to go through it a little more in depth. And then we're going to come back and say, what does this actually mean? Um, what, is this, what is this calling us to do? And so the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee were James and John. Um, where it doesn't actually um, give them by name here. But she comes up to him. And I, I did some research this week. And this is actually something I didn't know that I probably should have. But the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their mother was actually the sister to Jesus' mother, Mary. Um, we see that more in the crucifixion passages um, where it kind of ties that together. But this is actually Jesus' aunt that comes up to them comes up to Jesus. Um, and that's, not, that's not some huge point that has this, this huge weight on the meaning of this text, but that's something that I didn't realize beforehand. If you remember last week, Jesus promised the disciples this, this reward that for following me, 
You guys are. He says, you guys are going to judge. You're going to sit on 12 thrones. You're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But then we saw there was some selfish motivation in that question and what they asked because they were kind of saying like, well, our reward is going to be greater than others because of how much we sacrificed. It's this, there were some selfish motives in that question that he asked. And then we see that the disciples this week, it says their mother, but she's kind of speaking on their behalf. Uh, the other, in Mark, it actually says that it's the disciples the one asking this. But they say, so you're going to give us 12 thrones. We want that one and that one. We want those two best thrones. You said you're going to give us this reward, but they're asking for specific ones. They're asking for the most prominent roles. They want the best seats in heaven. And I want us to see this kind of misguided desire, this misguided motive. But here's the thing. What is Jesus' response? He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And we've seen in other passages, the cup is referring to his upcoming suffering, his upcoming death. Um, in the garden, he would pray, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Talking about this upcoming suffering, specifically the crucifixion. And get this, the, the disciples say, we are able. Seems like a very bold statement. Statements like these are what, kind of, are what give them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Um, but once again, we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus, even though there's a selfish question asked, there was also an affirmation given by Jesus. Last week we saw that he actually said, yeah, you guys will receive this reward. Yeah, you will sit on these 12 thrones. And this week, Jesus also affirms that, yeah, you guys will drink of my cup. Like, J James is going to be the first one that's going to be martyred, the first one of the disciples that's going to be killed. John is going to be exiled and going to die a death alone in, in exile on the island of Patmos. So, like, they are going to suffer. They are going to die. But then Jesus says, but that seat on my right and on my left are not mine to give. Last week, one of the big things we saw was that salvation is God's. He is the one... Um, ordaining that, that he is the one in control of salvation. And that's it all. Like, our role is not us pursuing specific rewards, specific thrones, specific, specific good things, but it's actually God is the one giving this. And I think that is the point being made here. That we don't go and ask for specific thrones, that the right hand and left hand, but that that is God's. That he is the one giving this beautiful reward, this beautiful salvation. And what you see is that the ten disciples, the other ten, it says they were indignant at the two brothers. Like, they're, they're, they're annoyed by this. They are, they really, really don't like that the other disciples have come. I don't know if they're upset because James and John tried to use their, their family connection to get a better reward. I don't know exactly. But in Matthew 18, one thing we talked about was, we talked about not leading others into sin. Don't be the temptation that causes someone else to sin. And one example that I used was that pride... The sin, our pride of sin, our sin of pride, sorry, that, that makes sense, right? Uh, our sin of pride can very easily not cause someone to sin, but lead someone else to sin in response to our pride. I mean, pride is very unattractive. Pride can bring out, is indignance a word? Indignance of other people because they're, it can be very annoying. And that's what happens. I mean, the other guys are upset by this. And while I scroll back up, because my iPad just went crazy, um, what we're going to see is that because of this, right after this, right after this 
response of the other disciples. Jesus is going to call them to himself. He's going to, he says he called them, and he starts to set up this thing, that once again, Jesus is flipping the script and saying, you guys are still not there. Your, your motives, your desires are still not truly after my heart. Because he's going to totally flip the script of what the world leaders look like and what those that are great in the kingdom of God, those followers of Jesus, and what it really means to be great. So I want to read verse um, 25 through 28 again. We read through these once, but I want to read them again. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see this contrast of what Jesus is saying. This is what the Gentiles do. This is what the world says about leadership, that it's all about authority. It's about using that authority to... uh, really demand. It's not this role of a servant. That's not what the world says, and that's not what the world says now. It's not that the, the leadership structure, the, the corporate world, politics, government, is not structured like the servants. I, I know politicians like called public servants. Uh, it's not usually how it works. It doesn't usually seem to, at least. But Jesus says, like, that's not how being great in the kingdom of heaven is going to work. It's not going to be this, this, you striving for this authority position of authority. It's not this role that you're seeking after. But he says that you guys are going to have to have the hearts, the attitude of two of the lowest positions in all of society. From everything that I've read, that servants were the lower class. They were those that didn't have a lot of education, didn't have a lot of money, um, but would actually hire themselves out to wealthier families. Um, they, they were provided for that way. They were able to serve people that had more money. I don't know, I don't know why I always think, when I think of a servant, I think of Alfred serving Batman. I, I don't know why that, like, I'm not even a big Batman fan. Uh, I just always think Alfred. I think that butler role or that, that maid role. My sister's fiance would be super excited I used Batman in a sermon. He's beyond obsessed. Their first engagement picture that I saw was actually him pulling his shirt open and showing a Batman signal. Long story. Very strange. Um, Jacob, if you hear this, I'm so sorry. Um, But the serving. So it's someone in the lower class serving someone in a more prominent role, in a wealthier role. And slavery, I think here in the U.S., we hear slavery very different than would have generally been talked about, been definitely been taught from the role of a slave. Because when we hear slave, we think of how slavery was done in the U.S., how it was done in our history, and all of the, the awful practices and the ways that slaves were treated and the ethnic and racial um, stuff that, went, that goes into that. And I don't want us to read this kind of slavery in with those lens because I think it's very, very different with what he's talking about, becoming a slave. Because if there was a debt to be paid an individual would sell themselves into slavery, basically, until that debt could be paid. They would give themselves over to slavery. And then when the debt was paid, they're good, they're, they're free. And 
this makes a whole lot more sense to pay off debts in my book than does throwing them in jail where they can't make money. But um, I don't think that's the point here. But so we have a servant, we have slaves. And this is the attitude, this is the mindset that Jesus says, as my followers, this is what you are to have. At the very bottom of the social scale, this type of, of service, this type of humility, this type of slavery almost in terms of service. Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Remember what the, son, the mother of the son of Zebedee, what James and John and their mother have come up requesting. They've come up requesting the two most prominent seats, the two biggest roles in um, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, this, this reward they've been promised. And Jesus is going to say, in submitting yourself to, this, to the will of God, in submitting yourself to the Father's will, your role is not going to be one of seeking prominence. Your role is not going to be that of, of seeking this um, bigger and better thing, better than other people. And this is the path that Jesus took. This is exactly the role that Jesus took. In verse 28 it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Like, this is the beauty of the gospel, right? This is the beauty of the gospel. Flip over to, to sorry, to Philippians 2 for just a second. Um, it'll be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, um, I encourage you to go ahead and flip there. Uh, I'm going to do that. But I, this is a, it's a well-known passage. It basically says who Jesus was, what, how he humbled himself. I'm going to talk too much and I'll actually flip there. Philippians 2. I'm just going to read 5 through 8 right now. We're going to read a bigger chunk of this later. But, ha- but let's read starting verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus becoming a servant, becoming a servant to people, humbled himself. And this is not just a high-class citizen humbling himself to a low-class citizen. This is the very Son of God humbling himself to the point of taking on the sins of man onto himself, dying an, an awful death in the most painful, most humiliating way that there was. This wasn't a man that came to the world in a prominent position, in a position of wealth or prosperity, but taking on the role of a servant for our sake. But even as Jesus walked on this earth, he was constantly in the role of a servant. He was constantly meeting the needs of people around him, the physical needs of people around him. We've we've read numerous times going through Matthew that he had compassion on the people, that out of compassion for the people, he served them. Out of compassion for the people, he loved them, he healed them. And out of his great love, this, this compassion just flowed in serving and being a servant. And it's this type of role, it's this type of attitude that we as the church have to have. 
I say that we as a church, this is the role that each one of us in the church must have as we seek to genuinely serve, genuinely love people. Is that the role that we have? Is that the attitude that we have? Is that the heart that we have? Is that the heart or the attitude that you have? Like, what does it actually mean to be a servant? What, what does it mean to serve people? What is Jesus actually teaching? Jesus continually met the needs of people, physical needs. And I think it's what's really, really dangerous and that often I've had this mindset before, and I think it's really, really dangerous that as we are, are, are talking to people about the Gospels, people come to us with needs, with physical needs, whether it be clothing, food, shelter, water, whatever it is, it's really easy to say, well, your ultimate need is not food. Your ultimate need is not shelter. Your ultimate need is Jesus. So I'm going to give you a track instead that says that Jesus is the bread of life. We talked about tracks and CG. But we're going to give them this track that says Jesus is the bread of life because that's their ultimate need. Their ultimate need is Jesus. It's not the food they're asking for. It's not the shelter. And I want us to see how wrong this is. I want us to see that Jesus did not separate meeting physical needs from meeting spiritual ultimate salvation needs. That is not what Jesus did. And I think that if this is what we do, if we're not meeting physical needs as well as sharing the gospel, they're tied together. If we're not doing that, I think that we're missing an opportunity to be like Jesus. Again, verse 26 through 28 says, whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to, be, not to be served, but to serve. I can say it again. Like, Jesus did not separate the two. He continually healed people. He continually met the needs of people. He fed 5,000. He fed 4,000. He gave the, the blind sight. He gave those that could not hear the deaf. He gave them hearing. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. Like, each of these times, Jesus met a physical need of people that were in desperate need, had great physical need. He was serving them. He was absolutely talking about who he was, sharing that, that he, through him, was salvation. He taught, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. I am life. I am truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was teaching them about who he was. But that wasn't separated from meeting physical needs. Let's go ahead and read um, 20, 29 through 34. This is right after this request, right after he's told them about being a servant, being a slave. It's Matthew 20, 29 through 34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Like, do we see what just happened here? The big picture. Jesus is walking, big crowd following him. The disciples plus 
a crowd. Two blind men crying out to him. The crowd says to be quiet. They cry out more. They, Jesus says, what do you want? They say, we want to see. Jesus says, see. And then they follow him. Jesus didn't say, well, your ultimate need is not your sight. You don't really need that. Your ultimate need is salvation through me. So I want you to follow me, and that will meet your ultimate need. That's absolutely true, um, that he was their ultimate need. But it says that he gave them their sight, and then they followed him. When I was in seminary, my... The, the professor that I have for the evangelism class was very much, he talked a lot about servant evangelism. And he had written some books, and I kind of went back and skimmed through them this week. But basically, the evangelism that's done in service, you're serving people, you're trying to meet physical needs. People that don't have food, you give them food. People that do have food, you cook a meal for them. What, whatever it is, you're serving people. You're going to meet physical needs of people. You're going to do something for them. You're going to mow a yard when they go and have twins. Varney's. If, you, if anybody happened to miss that. But you're trying to meet physical needs of people. It doesn't mean just those that can't afford it. It doesn't mean just those that are in desperate need. It means them too. But you're going to meet needs of people. You're going to serve them in some way. In order to share the gospel, you're not just meeting needs. You're not just doing that. You're not just letting your deeds speak for themselves, but you're, you're serving them. You're building a relationship with them. Through that service, you're sharing the gospel. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't separate the two. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that, honestly, God just kind of got a hold of me this week about this, and it's been very convicting, but... It's not that he just served them. It was that he served them because he loved them. And that is something that I think we can serve all day long. We can serve because it makes us feel good. We can serve because we think we should or because the church has told us we should because we know they need it. But if we don't love them, if we don't love people, no matter what the need, if we don't love people, we're missing it. We're missing it. Because Service that's done without this love, as soon as things get messy, as soon as things get hard to serve, as soon as things demand too much of us, we're going to find a new way to serve. We're going to find a way that's easier. We're going to find a way that's not so demanding. But if we truly love people, if we truly love the people that we're desiring to serve, that we are serving, there's not going to be a limit on our service. There's not going to be a limit on the way that we serve them, the way that we share the gospel through serving them. And if we truly understand who we are in Christ, if we understand how much that we are loved, if we understand that we were dead and have been made alive, if we understand that it's only through grace that we're able to serve in the first place, that it's only through grace that we're able to do anything good, then our eyes are not on ourselves. Our eyes can be off of ourselves, on the people we're serving. Our eyes are ultimately in serving them, we're serving God. We have to realize who we are in Christ and that it's not about us. That any sort of service, any sort of love towards other people is all about bringing glory and honor and praise to the only one who is worth it. 
And when our eyes are not on us, we're able to see this. We're able to understand that we're doing this because it glorifies God, because he created each one of us in his own image. And this is crucial because serving, true true serving, true becoming a servant is not easy. People didn't, don't do that because it's easy. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to steal some of this from Tim Keller at the Gospel Coalition Conference. One thing he said about this is you cannot bear the burdens of another without some of that burden falling on you. He says you cannot serve someone sacrificially without that being a sacrifice for you. It's not easy. Bearing burdens, take some of the burden off of somebody else and put some of it on you to do that with them. The whole nature of sacrificial love, of sacrificing, of serving, is that it's difficult. Like, it's, it's not easy. For Jesus, the sacrificial love meant being a ransom for many. For Jesus, the sacrificial love meant torture, meant agony, meant death on a cross in the most humiliating and painful way possible. This was sacrifice. This was his service. This was what he has done. Like, do we love one another enough to truly bear burdens? Not just serve people when it's easy. I'm talking about inside the church, outside the church here. Not just serve one another when it's easy, but when it's really, really hard, when it's messy, when people are difficult, when there's sin involved, when we as the church encounter things that are difficult. Do we love people enough to even serve them then? Do we love one another enough even to serve them then? Do we love people enough to serve sacrificially? Or are we only willing to give of time and give of our energy when we feel like we have a lot of it, when, we, when it's out of our abundance? Is that when we're willing to serve, when we happen to have some extra free time? Or are we only willing to give our money to the church or to ministry when we feel like we have extra to give? Is that when we're giving? Or are we doing this sacrificially? Are we, are we doing this in ways that aren't easy? Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to, to be all about becoming a servant only when we feel like we're in a good place, when we're comfortable? Then we can start serving. Because if the answer to those questions is yes, then I don't think we truly understand the whole nature of the gospel. I don't think we understand what it is that Jesus is calling us to. Because here's where what Jesus was really teaching the disciples. He had just told them that he was on his way to die. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. He says, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, crucified, and he will be raised again on the third day. Not one of the Gospels shows a response from the disciples to this comment, to this thing that he's saying for the third time. What we do see is that 
the next thing is the disciples asking a very a request about what is their reward? What is, can they have the best seats in the house? And Jesus, that's why he's saying you're going to be a servant. That's not what you're after. Why? Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Flip back to Philippians. Philippians 2 again. We're going to read a bigger section of this. I'm going to go Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look to the interest of others. Why? Because Jesus, though he was God, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, was born into humanity, was born, suffered, died by the most humiliating and painful way possible. I've said this already. This is how Jesus served. This is how Jesus served in a way that only he could. Again, not a high-class citizen becoming a low-class citizen, but the Son of God, through whom all things were made, through whom all things were made for, becoming a servant. And he did this so that we might be saved through faith in his death, through faith in his resurrection. This is the greatest act of service there's ever been. Again, I'll ask it, how are we serving others? How are you serving others? Not out of abundance, but out of love, out of sacrifice. Because here's the thing, as we sacrificially serve, as we sacrificially love, as we are servants, we have beautiful opportunities to share the gospel. Because this is very contrary to most of the world. Because being a servant, that kind of attitude is very, very different from much of the world. In meeting people's needs, we get to get to know people, we get to know their hurts, we get to know their struggles, we get to know what they need. In doing this, we get to know them, we get to meet, help meet this need, we get to know people, we build relationships, we're able to share the gospel. Like, this is how CRC first started. Not that I was here, but I've heard a lot about this, that when we first became a church, spent a lot of time downtown, just giving out coffee, just giving out food, 
just having conversations with people. Just talking to people, getting to know people, getting to know their hurts, getting to know what they struggle with, and getting to share the gospel. Able to meet physical needs, able to serve people. But it's not just about serving them, but it's about meeting their needs and sharing the gospel. John, I think, would grow a ton from being the disciple that would come asking for a prominent place in heaven. I think that his whole attitude would be changed because if you read through 1 John, all it is is love one another, love God, love one another, love your brother. I thought about just getting up here and reading the rest of 1 John. But I'm just going to read through some verses. I'm going to read through them quick. Don't you want to flip there. They're going to be on the screen. But listen to this. Listen to the disciple that was no longer about prominence, was no longer about trying to get the best seat, but is about loving other people. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 3.16-18 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 4, 9-12 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So you say, if you read through all of 1 John, all you see is this love one another through God. This is how we love one another. We love God. We love others. I could say that probably 30 more times. But that's ultimately what I want to ask this morning. Are we truly servants? Are we truly desiring to serve people in this way? Sharing the gospel out of love, meeting physical needs out of love. Is that truly what we're doing? Is that the heart that we have? Because Jesus says, that's the heart of those that follow me. That's what it means to be great. And that's what I'm calling you to. Now I'm going to get out of the we. I'm going to, are you, is this the heart that you have? Is this the heart that you have that I'm going to sacrificially serve? I'm going to sacrificially give. I'm going to sacrificially be all in in meeting needs in worship. And being part of this body. I mean, God, God has so loved us. Do we so love him? Do we so love what he has called us to? Like, I mentioned this earlier, but it's been so clear to me in my heart where I'm not there yet. Like, there was a lot of gunk there that I feel like God was really working on. And it became very, very apparent that I'm really desperate for him to continue to work. But I want us to see that this is so important for us as a church, as us individually within this church, 
We're called to be servants. We're called to serve. All in, not holding anything back. All things in common. Loving one another. Is this the heart that we have? And that's going to be my prayer, that that is our heart, that that's be the heart that God gives us, that it would be overwhelming love for each and every person we come in contact with, each and every person that walks in these doors, each and every person that is outside these doors. That it would not just be loving out of abundance or giving out of abundance or being all in only when it doesn't demand much, but that we would be all in no matter what. Let's pray. Hey, you guys can be seated for just a couple of minutes. Okay, so normally we would sing a third song here. And y'all are like, what's he doing? Why is he grabbing a chair and why is he sitting down? I'm scared. I said I was going to get like a fireplace slide to put up there and say that we were going to have like fireside chat with Pastor Tanner or something like that. I, I need an ascot. Does anybody have an ascot? Jimmy, where's your, where is it? Okay. All right, so um, we're just going to talk for a couple minutes instead of play a third song because I w- we wanted to give you kind of an update on a couple things and then talk to you about a couple things that we've been thinking about. And if you see me pull my phone out, because I have a few notes here, and I may actually refer to them. But if you know me, you know I probably won't. So um, if you haven't gotten a chance to look in the back room yet, it's looking really good. You can look, just not yet. Like, let me finish talking, and then you can go look. I'll take you back there. We'll look around. Um, and also, if you haven't looked in our bathrooms, they actually feel like bathrooms and kind of complete. I know, right? <laughs> Who saw that coming? Our bathrooms are feeling kind of complete. So we've had a bunch of stuff going on in here recently, and we're really excited about all of the things that we've um, kind of finally gotten to work on that we've been putting off for a long time. Um, So I'm trying to think how I want to get into this, how I want to talk about this. So uh, I'll just go this way. Let's pray real quick. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for what you're doing in our back room, and thank you for the things that we're getting to work toward. And God, as we get to talk for a few minutes just about some of the ways that we as elders are growing and ways that we as a church are going to grow, I just pray that you would, um, again, send your Holy Spirit here and just kind of work in us and fill us and change us where we need to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I actually really loved that Caleb's sermon went right into this because so much of what he was talking about was sacrificial love. And I kind of feel like a little bit frustrated that he didn't just go ahead and keep talking and go into this, but he instead left it for me. So we'll have that chat later on. Yeah, as he salutes me. Um, So one of the things that we've been doing is finally working on this back room. I don't know if you know much about CRC, but we have traditionally been very, and when I say very, I mean very frugal. Like, like if you looked at our building, it has, like, this has taken us three and a half years to even get to this point. Like, we just, we're not, like, investing lots of money. And a lot of that is because we're a small church, mainly filled with people that either don't have jobs or are so new to the faith that they have no idea what is expected, that sort of thing. Like, we just, we've never been, like, this really wealthy church. And... We say that, but at the same time, we've always had a whole lot. We've always had way more than we needed, and we never knew how we had it. And God's been very faithful to bless us, and he continues to be that way. Um, one of the things, so, so I say that to say, 
we haven't spent a lot of money as a church. And so we were really excited to get in on this project because we've been saving for this sort of thing. I think one of the things that Caleb was talking about that was so cool was like the way we sacrifice or the, the way that we, we give shows the gospel and it shows kind of, and I, th- I even think back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the rich young ruler and we were talking about how, how his heart was obviously with his wealth. Like he was all in on his wealth, not all in on following Jesus and letting go of the things that he had. And so one of the things that we have realized as a weakness in our church was that we weren't, we said we love kids, we love families, we want to be able to serve and love kids and families and have places for kids and families to go. But if you came and looked at our building, you would have said, they don't mean that. They just have this one little room that they jam as many kids in as they possibly can, but it's really close to the worship room, so there's no way that any that, that our sound's not going to bleed in there and vice versa. And they've got this big empty room that's messy and dirty and got all kinds of stuff in there. They really obviously don't value kids. And and so we realized it's time for us to go ahead and invest some of what God has given us into that. And we have been doing that, and we're really excited to see how God has been working in there. And if, like I said, if you go back there, it's not quite done. But if you went in there like two weeks ago, you saw empty room with pools of water in it. And if you go in there now, you see this is, this is three rooms. And this is like kind of welcoming. And I can see how we can do things in here and how we can have fun and how, and how we can teach kids about who Jesus is in here. And so it's been kind of a new thing for us to not be as frugal and be like, well, we can't spend money because we don't have any. Because we had some saved up and we'd kind of set it aside for this and we started going in on all this. And we've kind of gotten to the point with spending money in the back room where we have to stop now because we spent it all. Um. There were some things that have come up that have actually cost more than we thought we were going to do. Um, and there have been a couple of things that we've done out here that we thought needed to get done, like finishing the floors in the bathrooms so it kind of feels clean when people go in there and it doesn't feel like you have to take a shower when you get home. Right? Because let's be honest, our bathrooms were not very nice. But just having like actual floor in there, you're like, oh man, this is nice. I'm not, like, icked out anymore. I don't feel like this is a truck stop anymore. Right? But anyway, so all that to say, we kind of got to the point where we kind of hit our, what we had allotted budget limit for that back room, and we were kind of stepping back because there were a couple things that we still haven't done and we still aren't going to really be able to do right now, like put down actual floors and stuff in the back room. We're going to have to hit pause kind of where we are, and all that to say, there's been lots of, communication there's always lots of communication things that go on when you're dealing with contractors and different people in there and so all that to say we've had to hit pause because there are a couple of places where it's like ooh, we may have overreached here we may have gone here or somebody or one of us and it's probably me i mean let's be honest i'm the one who doesn't tend to think through nick don't nod you're just supposed to be like no tanner you're always perfectly clear okay i what i said so we're going to have to hit pause on a couple of things. It's really close, but, and I think in a couple of weeks, there's still a few more things that he's going to finish out, the guy that's been working back there, and it's going to be perfectly usable. But we're going to have to hit pause on finishing a couple of things that we would love to do back there, and we were kind of stepping back this last week, and we were just kind of looking at where are our finances, where's our money, that sort of thing. And, and I don't know if you guys know this about our church, but like 
the people who oversee the money are the same people who are preaching, which is, we think, how it's supposed to be biblically. Like, that's part of our role. We're supposed to oversee and make sure that the money gets spent right and is taken care of and that sort of thing. And we were looking through our finances, and I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you, we were looking at, you know, giving totals and stuff like that, how much money has come in, and we realized that... Um, and there's and I know I'm just sitting here thinking. I'm thinking who's who's sitting there thinking. Here goes the Baptist guy talking about money. Here goes the Baptist preacher talking about money. But here's the thing: we realize that we as elders have done a really bad job about teaching about sacrificial giving. Uh, Caleb has been an elder now for how long? One year. So he's been here for almost two, and in those two years, we've talked about finances and giving and stuff in this church one time and that was like three weeks after he got here so we as elders were realizing there's a real weakness in what we have been teaching we love teaching through books of the bible but the one problem that sometimes arises out of that is there's some piece of teaching that that book isn't going to cover in great detail and so we have not done a good job of talking about teaching about sacrificial giving just like Caleb was talking about earlier um, as a church so we were looking at our finances. We realized that is reflected in the giving that has come into the church. Our inability to teach properly how we are supposed to treat finances and how we are supposed to treat the church and how we're supposed to be giving sacrificially to support the mission of the church, that sort of thing. We haven't done a good job of teaching that here. And that has been reflected in what we see. Um, I don't want to get all technical. But, like, one of the stats that I remember from seminary was, like, this 85-15 rule. Like, 15% of people give 85% of the church's finances, and 85% of the people give 15% of the church's finances. And as we were looking at it this week, that's about right. Um, so, one of the things that, and I, and I want to go back to a verse that Caleb just read. This was perfect. It was that 1 John 3.18 verse. Let me see if I've got it still here. 1 John 3.18, yeah. When he said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Like, let's not just say these things that we believe. Just like we were saying, we love kids, we want to serve kids. We kind of had to put our money where our mouth was. We have to invest in this back room so that we can, we can actually have the infrastructure needed for serving and loving these kids. Um but one of the things that we haven't done is really teach that as members of the church, and I'm saying this as members of the church, not, not, I, I, we got some guests and stuff, and I'm not sitting here saying, hi, welcome to CRC, we need your money. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. That's not the talk. Um, unless you're really wealthy, then come talk to me later. <laughs> we'll get you signed up real fast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not, but I am. What? Amen. can't be serious. I'm sorry, guys. So we're going to do a better job at teaching. We need to do a better job at teaching giving. And part of that is we hope that you guys will start looking at your lives and saying, how is my love for the church being lived out in deed and in truth? Like, how am I actually living up to the things I say I believe? Like, I value, I value the mission of Jesus. I value CRC. How can I be a part of helping finish that back room, that sort of thing? 
because we're it, it's it's not that we said oh man we've started writing lots of checks we need to start asking people to give us money we haven't written a check that's going to bounce but but at the same time we also don't want to say all right so those 15% of people who are giving 85% we're just going to trust that you're going to bail out and help us finish the rest of this because that's that's awful teaching that wouldn't be good it's better to say hey guys you guys, love, you guys love the mission of CRC. If you love kids, we really want to finish that back room. So we could start talking about tithing and all of those sorts of things. You know, we talk about how there's a basket. We make it very easy to n and not in your face. We make it very easy to kind of ignore, oh, there's just a basket over there. But I want us to, myself included, examine our hearts and say, what do I actually believe and how is my life reflecting what I believe? And if we love kids and if we love the church, we ought to be sacrificially giving. So what I, you're like, what does he mean by sacrificially giving? I mean $1 million per person by next week in small unmarked bills. That's not what I mean. What I mean is how can you sacrificially, and I go back to that word sacrificially because that's the point. Like Jesus gave up being God in heaven to come down and be like us. That's a big deal. I think maybe we could give up a couple of McDonald's Diet Cokes. Oh, or a Starbucks, or, and some of you are thinking, I don't have a job, or I don't have money, or I live off student loans. Yes, that is true. But I think we could all probably find a time, maybe if I fasted on Wednesday and took what money I would normally spend on food that day, even if it's something at home. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich cost me 85 cents. Well, there's 85 cents more that I can, I can sacrificially give. Um, I'm not trying to get into this super technical I want to try to raise this kind of money. We're not going to be the church that's going to put a big empty thermostat on the wall and say, finish the kids' room when we reach this goal, and we're going to slowly. Some of you are like, no, oh, that would be awesome. Let's do that. We're not going to do that. I'm sorry. That's just not who we're going to be. But we want to be the kind of people who value and love the church, value and love the kids that are coming in here so that we can give them a space where we can really invest in their lives and invest in their knowledge of who Jesus is. So I'm not saying I need you to all start writing big checks, but what I am saying is if you are one of those 85% who when you look at your life, you look at your budget, you're like, I'm not very faithful. I don't, I don't, I don't live my, I don't show my love in deed and in truth. I just live it in word. Like I say the things that I value, but my life doesn't really reflect that. Maybe examine that. And maybe that means you need to start figuring out how can I give regularly sacrificially. And maybe you don't know how. I can tell you this. There are people in this church who love to budget. My wife is one of them. If you need help with that sort of thing. And there are other people here too. But I can, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to give you more work. But I am going to say you're really good at that. If you need help with that sort of thing, or if you have questions, come talk to one of us. Come talk to Tiff, and she'll help you set up a budget. Maybe that's that. Maybe it's like, I have this extra money that I was saving for this thing, and on top of my sacrificial giving, I want to specifically try to help finish that kid's room. Maybe you have that in your heart. And I, now I'm starting to feel like, like a marketer, and I'm like, maybe this is the thing. For $50, you can have this Boy Scout tub of popcorn, and that will go to... Sorry, when I, get, when I get uncomfortable, I start making jokes, but I'm serious. Maybe you do feel like, I can't do this kind of thing regularly, but maybe I do have something, or maybe I can sell this thing, or maybe I can give this thing to the church that will help with the back room. Maybe you're like, 
I have this old piece of furniture I was going to get rid of. I wonder if the church could use that in the kids' room. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, and maybe you are too. But what I want is I want us to all examine our lives, examine our hearts, and I'm not going to, like, come up here in two weeks and take our, our giving spreadsheet and, like, post it on the, on the screen so that everybody can see. But what I want us to do is I want us to be a little bit more accountable with our giving. So how are, what are ways that we can do that? We can talk about it with our, with our families or with our community groups, that sort of thing. Like, I need to be better at giving. Help me. That's what community groups are for. They're for accountability. I know, girls, y'all have been getting into smaller groups that are part of your CGs. That's awesome. Use that. If that's a thing that you struggle with, if you're like, I don't think I can give, I don't have enough money, talk to your community group, and maybe they can come around and they can help you find some way that you can sacrificially serve the church. One other thing. It's really, a lot of times we talk about taxes and stuff. So it's like, if you write a check, you're going to get a tax receipt at the end of the year. And we say, well, if you need a tax receipt at the end of the year and you're giving cash, put your name on an envelope. And that's true for tax purposes. You might not care about your taxes. You might not, you might not worry about that kind of thing at all, getting a big deduction or something at the end of the year. But I think for accountability's sake, if we're putting in cash, it's not a bad idea to put our name on an envelope that we're putting our cash in just for accountability's sake, so that the church can know, hey, this person's been faithfully giving, and we're going we're gonna to know. We're going to like, this person, because that's reflective of where our hearts are, right? That was what we were talking about with the rich young ruler a couple weeks ago. Like, his heart was not with following Jesus. He wanted to keep his stuff. But if we can see, look at these people that are bought in, and it's reflected in their faithful giving. It may not be a lot, but it might be consistent. And that's a thing that I think would be really, really cool to say. Look at Look at what God is doing in the hearts of our people and look how bought in they are with the mission of CRC. Am I making sense? Does this sound does this sound like a thing that we can all pray about? And I'm serious. Talk about in our community groups. Talk about in your small groups. Talk about talk about with somebody that's one of your accountability people. One like your person, whoever your person is. Talk about what you get. Like it's not about bragging. Right? We're not trying to make the I'm not even trying to highlight the hey, let's go, let's go celebrate the 15% of people who are giving a whole lot of money. It's not about that. The point is, where is your heart in relation to Jesus and what, is, what, what, what deed and truth is being reflected in what you believe about the value of the church and being bought in? Cool? Awesome. Good talk. We can turn the fire off. Jimmy, you can have your ascot back. I was just making sure you're still paying attention, man. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and run through a couple of our quick normal announcements, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start eating Sloppy Joes because I don't know about you, but I am starving.